Well, well, well. Hello, listener. Welcome back to the Pretenders Guild. We have, uh, we've been gone for a little while. We appreciate your patience, but we're here now. Uh, we had the holidays, of course, Christmas and New Year's, uh, the Winter Heart Festival. I don't know, that sounds fantasy-ish, right? Uh, then I had the flu, and Dylan had rock joint. I keep telling him he needs to be more careful when he's fighting those skeevers, but Dylan, he just, you know, every rose has its thorn, and that's his. Anyway, um, we're back. We're going to be on a more regular schedule again now, and you can finally hear the end of Sings My Moon's story. So after this, you're going to hear me shut up. But if you want to send us your stories for next episode, I believe next episode of the week after will be the listener response uh, episode. Send us your your stories about whatever, your original characters. Just tell us about your character. Tell us about some fun experiences you've had role-playing in a game. Tell us a specific story, the way that we've sort of told our stories. Um, whatever you want, send it to us at Pretenders Guild on Twitter or thepretendersguild at gmail.com. And with that, uh, enjoy the end of Sings My Woman's Story. I will see you at the end of the show. Goodbye. When Sings My Moon and Carlyre returned to the Thieves' Guild, the Ragged Flagon to be more specific, the place was in a general sense of upheaval at the arrival of Carlyre, and rightfully so, because as far as they knew, Carlyre was the treacherous betrayer who murdered Gallus, the previous guild leader, uh, and tried to make off with all of the riches of the Thieves' Guild. Now. Sings My Moon has never been exactly invested in this narrative, so to speak. Um, he has sort of gone along, biding his time, thinking to himself, one day, one day I shall get back to Morrowind. But it almost seems like every time he's just about to make that leap back to Morrowind, something keeps him in Skyrim. Um, and he's not exactly cognizant of this, necessarily. In fact, he, he's found himself over the last week or so since allying himself with Kalaya, a, a dark elf, his sworn enemy. He's found himself almost like clockwork going through uh, a series of motions and, and almost like he's, he has convinced himself that it's in his best interest to stay in Skyrim, although he does not exactly know why. So, the... Ragged Flagon is in a uh, general sense of outrage at the arrival of Carlia. Brynjolf is saying, give me one reason I shouldn't stab you dead right here. However, as time goes on and Carlia explains uh, what has transpired over the last week or couple weeks and presents the translated journal of Gallus, uh, which details Mercer Frey and his plot to overthrow Gallus, uh, take his research, and use it to his own ends. Now, the exact nature of his research is related to something called the Eyes of the Falmer, an ancient, uh, priceless artifact that has been long thought lost. And as Carlia explains this more and more, uh, and, and provides more and more evidence, it becomes evident to the guild that 
Mercer is the one who murdered Gallus so that he could use his research. And he has framed Carlia. Uh, and to keep her away and to keep her quiet, to, to remove her agency in this situation. Uh, as he, over the course of the last 20 years or more, has been slowly but surely bleeding the Thieves' Guild of its wealth. Something must be done, Brynjolf says. This is bullshit! And the only thing they can think of is that Mercer Frey's home is in the city of Riften. If there is any clues to where he may be, that's where it's at. So, who better, who better to go on this journey than Sings by Moon? So, Sings by Moon, of course, once again is recruited, and he reluctantly agrees. Mm, yes, okay, I shall go. And they warn him. Mercer has a very uh, talented bodyguard, shall we say. Now, he is more of a groundskeeper at this point, since it's very likely Mercer is not in his home. Uh, but he could be a forced force to be reckoned with, uh, which sends Damu and just pff, brushes off. Yes, okay. And, and even a bit excited at the thought. Every time he gets to do a, a job where he gets to kill someone, it's just like, harkens back to old times. So... Sinbamun makes his way into Mercer's house, goes around the back where he sees this bodyguard sort of patrolling uh, the back entrance. I should not be so foolish as to go through the front. As he goes around, sees this bodyguard, a bald man, uh, uh, an imperial, it seems, with a long great sword on his back as he just patrols this backyard uh, with a small stone pathway leading up to a doorway into Mercer's home. So Sings by Moon notices that the the gate to the backyard is locked. So when the guard takes a moment to uh, stretch and breathe a little bit, Sings by Moon sticks his lockpick in, jangles the tumblers, uh, overshadowed by the sound of a yawn, pushes the gate open, and sneaks his way over into the corner, unseen by the guard. And just as the guard is walking over in the direction of Sings by Moon, about to uh, probably see through the visage of, of Shadow, Sings by Moon says, oh, time to act, as he just darts forward with a double dagger attack. It's two magic daggers uh, in his hands as he swings them around uh, in a sort of uh, spiral motion clipping him both uh, on his lower half and around his knees and then down across his chest uh, as the guard lets out a scream. Yeah! Uh, as Sings by Moon jams one dagger into his stomach and then the other one whoom, through his back creating this sort of uh, shish kebab as he <laughs> rips the daggers upward and the guard falls dead on the floor on the ground. So, Sings by Moon <laughs> grabs him by his, the cuff of his collar and drags him over into the shadows, makes his way into Mercer Frey's home. Uh, and as he is in the home, he's realizing to himself, oh shit, I should have tortured that fuck and asked him where this goddamn journal is or whatever I could find. He knows he's looking for some sort of journal or written evidence of where Mercer Frey might be. Would have been nice <laughs> if he had a heads up but alas, uh, the heads up is now face down on the stone floor outside. So, Sings by Moon rummages around the home, knowing 
almost for certain that no one is going to come in throwing shit everywhere, breaking bottles, breaking chairs, knocking tables over. What the fuck? Where is this? Until he finally finds, conveniently located in Gal's, in uh, Mercer's bedroom, a uh, a chest. Mm-hmm. Oh, probably should have looked at that at first. As he goes over to the chest, sticks in his, uh, his lockpick and finds some gold, some potions, and a written journal from Mercer. And what Mercer has written down in his journal is that he is going to travel to a Dwemer ruin somewhere in Skyrim to steal the eyes of the Falmer, which Gallus had almost two decades ago um, begun preliminary research and had made a good way into uh, his research uh, to, to uncover. This was the reason that, that Gallus was murdered. Uh, there was a disagreement, a rift between Gallus and Mercer and Carlia. Gallus saying that we should be using Nocturnal's blessing to make ourselves rich, otherwise what's the fucking point? Uh, and Gallus having a sense of honor, as well as Carlia, declining that, and, and not wanting to use these, these ancient artifacts for their own means because of the folly involved. Mercer, however, decided to take matter into his, matters into his own hands, and is now planning to finally execute uh, the the last stage of his of his mission. So, Sings by Moon returns to Carlia, and Brynjolf at the Ragged Flagon informs him of this. Carlia now urges Sings by Moon and Brynjolf to follow her. She has something to show them. They head outside the city of Riften, way, way, way back up toward the mountains to a. a uh, an unseen cavern uh, from from down on the path, and the doorway to this pe- cavern uh, is, is seems like locked tight with this uh, steel door or of some kind or iron door. Uh, Carlia moves in and opens the door. Before Sings by Moon and Brynjolf enter, she explains to them, "We are about to enter the lair of Nocturnal." The patron Daedra of the Nightingales. Ritual of the Nightingales has always been that there are three members. Previously, it was Gallus, Carlia, and Mercer. Obviously, since Mercer has fallen out of favor and Gallus is dead, there are two more spots. Carlia urges Brynjolf and Sinsbamun to fill these vacancies. Now, Sinsbamun is not one for <clears throat> a ritual, he's not one for a tradition. And he is certainly not one for worship. Uh, and so he is immediately like, you, you would wish me to pledge myself to this Daedra. Carlyle explains, This is the only way that we can... This is the only way that we can earn her favor and take Mercer down. It seems by Moon... He, he has like a... Like a, a hamster wheel of ideals and bonds in his head. And... He's not exactly great at weighing them against one another. He's actually a very impulsive. So it's almost like he spins the hamster wheel uh, with one ideal being get the fuck back to Morrowind, the other ideal being get the fuck revenge on Mercer Frey. And that's just where it lands. And in this moment, vengeance is a motivating factor. The thought of being left for dead, after all he's been through, after witnessing a dragon attack after being scorned by Sithis, after nearly dying on the road 
to thugs and bandits and a whole host of all the things that he has done over these last the last month or so that he's been in Skyrim, easily the worst month of his life, to think that he was almost dead on the floor of a fucking dingy, gross, Nordic ruin with some smarmy imperial leaning over him, smirking and pulling a, pushing a dagger into his belly. No. No, you will not get away with this, he says to himself, as he agrees to pro, uh, proceed with this with this ritual. Now, as they get into this chamber, it is a, like a large cavern with three pathways leading to uh, pillars throughout the, the room. So there's three three pathways and three pillars. Singsbemoon is instructed to position himself on one of the pillars, as well as Brynjolf, and then Carlia moves. And, and before they go their, their ways onto the pillars, Carlia and Brynjolf both say, Sings my moon, we have a, a request of you. You have shown experience, you have shown uh, vigilance, and we wish for you to take over the Thieves' Guild of Skyrim. And Sings my moon, now, he doesn't even have to spin his hamster wheel. He just goes, no. No fucking way. Bernie off, hey, don't, don't, don't throw it off so quickly, kid. You know, you're showing great potential. This could make you very rich. And for the first time, Sings My Moon actually lets his, uh, his goals be known to these people. And he says, Listen, I am from Morrowind. I have been here but a month. I do wish to return to my home. I do not wish to stay here and lead your guild. Your guild is your guild. If you are to lead it, you are to lead it. Me, my destiny is elsewhere. I shall help you with this, and I shall go. And they just don't seem to really take over an answer. And y'all was like, ah, yo, yes, we'll, we'll talk about it after. Uh, that's a little bit more like Mercer's voice. Oops. Uh, Carlia. Yes, we, we will discuss this. However, we have the ritual to perform, so let's go. Move on to their, their pillars. Now, Carlia begins an incantation uh, to uh, the Daedra Nocturnal. She, she details the falling out of favor that... Uh, Gallus had brought upon the Nightingales and comes forth with two new pure uh, candidates to, to reinvigorate the Nightingales so that they may best get their revenge on Mercer be it personal in the case of Sings by Moon or be it uh, fate wise right from the perspective of Nocturnal and the Nightingales Nocturnal initially seems disturbed at, at the presence. However, Carlia does a good enough job convincing her, and all of a sudden, in a magical uh, burst of, of arcane light, uh, sees himself just surrounded in a purple, uh, a purple swirling magic uh, vortex of kinds, and. As it dissipates, he looks down and sees himself now wearing extremely tight to the body uh, leather armor that fits almost like his, his armor did back in, in Morrowind when he was an assassin, which he had grown into. Feels snug and he feels over his face now a mask uh, and he sees Carlia and, and Brynjolf wearing these, this same outfit and 
puts two and two together and realizes this must be the armor of the Nightingales. So he takes his, his helm off and uh, looks back, sees the hole for his tail sticking out. Mm. Snug. I like it. As he meets back with Carlia and Brynjolf, Carlia explains, there's one last thing. The one thing that Mercer Frey did to truly deserve our ire, not only did he defile the Twilight Sepulchre of Nocturnal, he has stolen the most prized artifact of all, the Skeleton Key. Singsbone is like, oh, what is the Skeleton Key? The Skeleton Key will unlock any lock. You've surely heard of it in, in myths throughout the thousands of years of history in Tamriel. There is no lock on all of Nern that the Skeleton Key cannot undo. And currently, Mercer Frey has it. Brynjolf says, that's how he got into the vaults. As he had previously realized, the vaults were absolutely emptied clean by Mercer Frey. That sneaky son of a bitch! And sings my moon now, just thinks, mm, a key that can unlock any door in all of Nern. I see why he would have taken it. Carlia uh, says, We must retrieve this key from Mercer Frey. It is the only way that we are going to earn the favor back of Nocturnal and the Nightingales, and the only way that any of us will get our revenge. And so, using the journal that Singsba Moon had found in Mercer's home, the three of them are able to locate a Dwemer ruin in the northern parts of Skyrim. Now, Dwemer ruins are well known for their tricks and their traps, uh, and also well known for their population of Falmer. Now, Falmer, I believe, as I've previously explained, were the... I, I could be wrong. I should probably fact check, but I'm not gonna. Uh, I believe they were the Snow Elves, a, a just a, a race of elves on Tamriel which were enslaved by the Dwemer, sometimes called the Dwarves, although they're not necessarily known for being uh, like short, stout dwarves, like you may think of in, in The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings. More of... Um, more of like a fairy tale dwarf, kind of like a, almost like an elf, like a small elf. So the Dwemer were known for having these large underground facilities where they had all sorts of extremely advanced technology and, and machinations, uh, where they enslaved the snow elves and, and kept them in the dark to tend to their uh, machinery. And the snow elves slowly over the course of generations and millennia lost their eyesight and became a feral uh, beast race and now inhabit many of the subterranean ruins of Skyrim. Much like the one that Sings Bamun is currently entering. And as they make their way into the ruin, the first thing they see is Gallus, I'm sorry, uh, Mercer, down about a hundred feet, they're looking over like, a, like almost like a balcony with a stairwell that leads all the way down. They see on the far side of this gigantic cavern, Mercer's form. As he looks up and sees them, oh no! Uh, snap! He goes invisible, and you can see a sort of uh, almost like a heat mirage moving uh, as Brynjolf goes. There he goes! There he goes! He sings them and just thinks to himself, hmm, "Invisibility potion." No matter. So, the group, the three of them, make their way down the stairs into a room filled with with Falmer. These these hunched over, 
eyes slit, uh, pointy-eared, gray-skinned monsters at this point. Uh, they used to be sentient, linguistic, civilized people now reduced to nothing but uh, dungeon fodder. And this facility, like most Dwemer ruins, is filled with many tricks and traps and also many of a, many puzzles. So as the the farmer were dealt with rather rather quickly, they can't really see. So it's kind of easy for Sings by Moon to just sneak up and uh, using a Dwemer dagger, actually, quite fittingly, uh, stabbing the farmer in the back in a poetic uh, disposal. Now, finding that the room that they are currently occupying has some sort of puzzle to open the door to get into the next room as Sings the Moon just runs around. You pull that lever, I'll pull this lever. As they're just yanking levers, just waiting for something to happen. Then finally, the portcullis opens and Sings the Moon, Carlia, and Brynjolf set off into the interior of the ruin. Dealing with swaths of, of more farmer, deadly traps, uh, these, these sort of like uh, trigger plate uh, flame traps that Sings by Moon has found himself, he's walked over many a trigger plate, but he's in these new Nightingale boots. Doesn't seem to activate. Uh, however, being chased by many, of, many a farmer, uh, they have triggered the traps and he has seen some barbecued farmer uh, and taken a few cinches himself. Now, as they make their way to the end of this of this Dwemer ruin, they Sinsman un- understands he is going to encounter Mercer Frey, and he's not quite thinking past that moment. Right in this in this time in this moment right now, he is almost just thinking of the way that he is going to kill Mercer Frey. Should I stab him in the neck so he can no longer speak as I read him his last words? Should I stab him in the back like he has done to me or the belly? Hmm. I guess we shall find out when we get there. And they enter into a large chamber um, featuring a gigantic stone uh, like statue monument of uh, a snow elf an ancient snow elf and the two eyes of this monument now missing the the uh, the apparent eyes of the farmer have been taken and from atop this large monument um, in a room probably about 100 150 feet tall maybe 60 60 feet uh, long circular Mercer Frey shouts down, So, you finally tracked me down. Well, I'm sorry. I can't allow you to get away with what I've got away with. So, I guess we'll have to end this here. It was nice knowing you. And all of a sudden, his form, snap, disappears. And sings by Moon goes, Oh, two can play that game. As he... Pulls from his uh, pulls from his belt an invisibility potion, which he has become quite adept at producing, and swallows it all down. Now they both are invisible as their uh, sort of like 
I keep use, using like like almost like when you see a grill on a summer day and the heat is rising, it's this sort of shimmer. That's essentially how Sings by Moon and Mercer Frey uh, seem in this moment. As Sings by Moon runs up, he can see uh, charging towards him this this shimmering uh, visage as he just extends out his dagger in the form of Mercer Frey. <laughs> Uh, becomes visible, and now uh, exchanging a blow, Sings by Moon <laughs> pops out of his invisibility as well. Ooh. Now the two of them standing on uh, this this uh, angled platform, sort of facing the monument. They're at an angle. Mercer with the higher ground, uh, as Sings by Moon is now bobbing and weaving, trying to make himself small as he's taking stabs with both of his daggers. Mercer clearly a, uh, a valiant fighter. Putting up quite the, uh, putting on quite the show, in fact, with spinning attacks and seeing the moon very conservative with his two daggers. Uh, Mercer Frey also using two daggers uh, in this this just showdown of of tactfulness and and, uh, and tactical uh, attacks and defenses as seeing the moon catches Mercer's blade in the two of his crossed as he pushes them, leaving an opening as he stabs inward toward the stomach. Clipping underneath uh, an unarmored part of uh, Mercer's armor, or of Mercer's belly, and you can see uh, Mercer starting to breathe heavily. Seems that Moon not looking so great himself. As Mercer continues upward toward the top of uh, of the monument, and pursued by Sings the Moon, Mercer pops another invisibility potion. Sings the Moon goes not so quick as he tucks his dagger away, conjures that flame that he has always been able to uh, innately use, and just hurls a fireball in the direction that he just saw Mercer fray. And the form is now back turned, uh, trying to make an escape is now engulfed in flame as he just falls. Uh, his form now showing, Sings My Moon runs over, plunging his dagger into his back over and over. And, and if you were listening really closely, you could probably hear Brynjol from the other side of the room going, geez, as Sings My Moon does away with Mercer Frey, the betrayer. And as he's lying there still, searches his body and finds the skeleton key. And as soon as the moon touches it, he feels a sense of power. Power is not something he has sought and is not something he has felt in most of his journey. Uh, in fact, he has felt quite the opposite in many times, feeling powerless, feeling without any sort of agency in what happens to him. Now, holding on to this key, he feels the power of, of generations, like a, a mythic power, the power you read about in a fairy tale. As Carlia and Brynjolf catch up, they say, oh, thank you, thank you so much. We must, quick, we must get out of here. As they hear this now, there's this sound of as all of a sudden they realize uh, from the wall, a pipe has now begun filling this chamber with hundreds of gallons of water at a time. As they can see, the floor is starting to rise. We must, we must get out of here quickly, Carlia says, as they are now swimming in this, as it's rising probably a foot every, uh, every 10 seconds, getting closer and closer to the top. They're swimming in east to the corner of the room, patting their hand along the stone, trying to find some sort of 
some sort of exit as Sing the Moon makes his way with, with probably not any more than 20 feet to go to the top before the entire chamber is submerged. Finds himself a uh, section of, of caved-in uh, stone, which he is able to sort of weave his way through and from the inside push the rest of the stone out, creating an opening as he shouts, Come this way! This way! Uh, with his head barely bobbling above the water as he uh, guides Bernioff and Carlyle through this hole about 80 feet in the air. Now, they make their way uh, through what appears to be hit an escape tunnel in case Mercer had to... It, it seems that it, Mercer has triggered, has made this trap um, to trigger at any moment so that he could potentially escape if things got too hairy. Sings My Moon uh, did not give him that opportunity. Now, the three of them make their way out of the uh, chamber and find their way back to the entrance of the ruin. Mercer Frey's uh, waterlogged corpse forever buried in that that foul chamber. Carlyle says, You, sings my moon, you must return the skeleton key to the Twilight Sepulchre and undo this curse that Mercer has brought upon us. Now, sings my moon is not... He, he's okay with this. He feels the power of this artifact, but he knows it will... It will do him no good to hold on to it for too long. Yes, uh, of course. But he also thinks to himself and says out loud, I must return to Morrowind once this is complete. Though we have been through very much together, I cannot lead your guild. I am not the one to do it. You do not want me to do it as much as you may think that I am qualified. And so I will take my leave. I will return this key and you shan't see me again. And so, Carlia and Brynjolf reluctantly accept this uh, as they bid farewell to their friend Sings by Moon, hoping that they'll see him again, hoping that he'll become desperate for some coin, and hoping that um, one day he will show up to tell his own tale and, and to confirm the legends that will surely be told about him uh, for years to come. And as Sings by Moon leaves, thinking of his return tomorrow and feeling as though this is now the time. Things must... Uh, things have happened to him that have put him in situations that he did not seek situations that he did not ever foresee or situations that he certainly didn't want to be in. Um, but he's found his way out and he feels a bit of clarity. I must have returned to my home. But I could always use a little bit more coin. This armor is pretty nice, but I can't wear it everywhere. I should you know, make, make it so that I can blend in this society, there's always that would be. These daggers are nice, but I could always use something more for the road, so I have this key. You know, I can make myself plenty stable before I make my journey home. So, Sings by Moon makes his way to Windhelm, uh, waits for the sun to go down, and he enters the palace of Windhelm. Uh, of Ulfric Stormcloak 
a political figure who he has no allegiance nor anger toward. And using the twilight, the uh, using the skeleton key, he just cleans out the interior of that palace. He's finding it very easy to not, to remain unseen. Makes out with over a thousand gold worth of uh, of actual gold and, and gems and, and armor and artifacts. In returns, feeling his pockets. Hmm, this is very good. I can deal with this. And. As he is, you know, thinking he's just on the border. Here's where, here's where he could go. But let me, let me just do one, one more night. One more night with the key. He's starting to feel a little buzz from the power. The ease with which he just cleaned out uh, uh, a palace, a, uh, a, a noble site, was something that he had never really felt before. And so he travels uh, by night uh, north toward the city of Dawnstar, a small city. And he stays there and spends the day there dealing with the, you know, just, just goes to the tavern, enjoys himself a few stouts, heads out around the, the pasture looking for alchemical ingredients. And when the sun goes down, he returns does the same thing to the keep in Dawnstar. Cleans that shit out. And he is starting to feel like a rich man at this point. He can get anything he wants. And so, sun rises and he goes shopping. Buys himself, you know, all sorts of situational items. Uh, clothing that would work in this city. Clothing that would work in that city. Uh, weapons to disguise himself maybe as a ranger or maybe disguise himself as a soldier. He wants to be prepared on his way back home. And he says to himself, I should probably return this key, but... Yeah, no, you know. One more cannot hurt. A single one more could certainly not hurt. As he makes his way to the city of Markarth. Now he enters the city of Markarth uh, midday. And as he is sitting at the tavern, enjoying himself another stout, he's approached uh, by a cloaked old woman. He says, you look like the type who could get something that does not like to be got. And Sings by Moon just sort of looks over at her and says, I know not what you speak of. Do not play me coy, young boy. I can read it on your face. You can't exactly make out the features of this woman. She's, uh, she's cloaked. She has her hood up. Uh, shadow sort of dawning. She looks to be uh, a, a, you know, a race of men, um, not really necessarily an elf or, or any of the bestial races. Um, who might you be? Singsbemoon asks her. Oh, worry not. If you would like, I have a job for you. And if you would not, then I shall go my own way and you go yours. Singsbemoon thinks it over and says, What kind of job? She details to him, there is a house on the far side, on the far western side of the city. In this house is evidence of a dowry, a dowry which has remained unfulfilled, as my son was married to this daughter uh, for the exchange of a flock, the exchange of gold, and now this family has seems to have 
disappeared. If you can retrieve evidence of this diary, it should be in their records. I will reward you greatly. So Sings by Moon mulls it over. He feels like even in this day and age, dowries are a bit old-fashioned. Um, but who is he to judge? Yes, I'll do it. And where shall we meet once the job is done? We shall meet right back here, my dear. And she describes the home to Sings by Moon. It doesn't sound like something he's seen before. He hasn't spent a ton of time in Markarth, but... Doesn't recall seeing this, but that could be. That's fine. He makes his way to the western side of the city um, by nightfall. Does not... Uh, or locates the home. So it does not recognize ever walking by this or seeing this before. But what's the difference? As he uses the skeleton key to quickly enter through the front door, he is in what looks like the home of of anybody in, in Markarth. Uh, wood, stone, wooden tables, chairs set up. Uh, and when he enters, it doesn't seem to be like a, a any sort of specific room, like a, a living quarters or a... Uh, or a den of any kind. It's just a, just a, a room. And there's one more door. And so he goes over to that door, jingles it, and it's, it's locked. Hmm. Okay, no matter. As he unlocks it with the skeleton key effortlessly, he finds himself into another room. Looks extremely similar, this time with two doors. As he goes over to both of them, finds them both locked. As he opens the one on the right, makes his way through to a seemingly another identical room. And he's now starting to lose spatial awareness. Uh, as he goes back through the door, tries to go back through the door that he came from, he finds it's locked again. Hmm. What is this? As he unlocks it, goes back through that door, now finds himself in a totally different room. Where there used to be a door facing him, there is now one on the right and one on the left. There are three doors in this room. I swear there are only two. As Sings by Moon continues to unlock these doors, finds himself lost, seemingly. No windows, either, in any of these rooms. As he is looking around, starting to panic, now he enters uh, a room. This time he sees, standing there, the cloaked woman who uh, has, has put him on this quest. He says, what is this? What, the, what, what is going on? As the woman unveils her cloak, a brilliant uh, purple light shines from beneath, uh, from, from beneath her hair and out her eyes. And just the room fills with this uh, purple energy as a voice booms out. Uh, loudest thing Sings Moon has ever heard as he is brought to his knees. Uh, a voice whispering louder than anyone has ever whispered. And you were so lucky. And now you may press your luck to your heart's desire. May you be the keeper of the skeleton key forevermore.